Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And with that, it's often helpful to remember that worldwide cervical cancer is still a fairly significant problem. In fact, it's the fourth most common cancer in the world. In 2018, we have statistics of 570,000 women developed this worldwide. About 311,000 unfortunately died from cervical cancer. But here in the United States, we have really been promoting the adoption of HPV vaccination because we know 99% of all cervical cancer is associated with what we call high-risk HPV serotypes. Here to explain more and describe what the best efforts that we can all take to avoid getting in cervical cancer is Dr. Erica Kwok from Kaiser Permanente. She is an OBGYN by specialist for over 10 years, and she is joining us today on The Body Show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dr. Kozak. Well, Dr. Kwok, let's talk about HPV. You know, it's we hear those terms, human papillomavirus, and boy, I remember when I was in medical school, we weren't really that certain that there was a viral transmission that could actually expose people to an increased risk of cancer. And that just dates me to medical school in the late 90s. So here we are now, it's 2022, and we're talking about this direct connection between a virus and a cancer. It's one of the most direct connections. What is HPV and how do we get it? So human papillomavirus, or HPV, is a sexually transmitted virus. I think that fact puts a lot of people, you know, on guard. They're thinking, what's, why am I getting this? Does it mean it's dirty? Is there a problem? But it's extremely common virus. You know, if you look around at everyone you see on the street, almost everyone you come into contact with has had exposure to HPV. So if you think about it in that context, you know, this is something we're seeing, you know, women are exposed to every day. And the most important thing is really to try to prevent HPV from causing the cancer. So, you know, I think with pap smear screening, if you think back, it really started in the 1940s. We came up with the Papanicolaou screening. Um, hard to say. And, you know, in the, in the 1970s, we had a really much wider adoption of pap screening. And that's really where women start to get the idea we should do pap smears every single year. And women are so good at that. They came in and they're, you know, thinking, I need to come in once a year. We did a great job. And then in probably the 2000s, we got a lot better at figuring, hey, HPV is causing these abnormal pap smears. Let's start testing for that. And so in the probably the mid-2000s, we really started doing pap smears with HPV testing. That's really changed kind of how we've approached cervical cancer screening. HPV has been a really integral part of that. So it's interesting you mentioned that historically, you know, and I agree with you, the reason we call them pap smears is because Papanicolaou is a very hard thing to pronounce, and don't even ask me how to spell it. But pap smears were something that originally you were saw, you were told, okay, do one every year, come in to see your gynecologist and have a pelvic exam. And, and now, as you've mentioned, in the last 20 years or so, we've really learned how to target testing, specifically because pap smears 
really were only meant to detect cervical cancer. They're not really meant to screen for ovarian cancer, and they're not really meant to screen for endometrial cancer. So when we think about pap smears, really it's just cervical cancer screening. Is that right? Absolutely. I think you've hit it on you know, on the head that women come in all the time. They're like, oh, I don't have any female cancers. I don't have ovarian. I'm checking. And they think that when they come in for their pap smear, we're screening them for all those things. And this is really just the cervix specifically. So that's why the HPV testing comes into play. So there's co-testing for HPV. There's ways that we can detect. But before we even get to the detection, let's talk about prevention. Because there is a vaccination that has been modified in the last couple of years, and it's available to both women and men, actually starting off boys and girls, to prevent HPV. What is the HPV vaccine, and how many shots is it these days? So HPV vaccine, um, the brand name is Gardasil vaccine, is a vaccine that's actually intended for girls and boys to get. So you can get it as early as age nine. I would say typically most pediatricians will start offering it about age 11 to 12. The most important part about HPV prevention is you want to be vaccinated before you come into contact with the virus. So this should be before sexual activity is ever initiated, um, which is why people say, well, my child is not anywhere near thinking about sexual activity, but you want to get your child vaccinated before that ever occurs. The pediatrician is actually the first place that um, parents will think about getting their children vaccinated because of the age, you know, range of 11 to 12. You can, if you, for whatever reason, don't get vaccinated, you know, as a preteen or teenager, you know, you can get vaccinated up until age 26. That's kind of the recommended age. Um, As far as vaccine schedules, you know, if you are less than 15 years old, the good news is you only need two shots. So I think from a standpoint of, you know, kids probably don't want to have very many shots. They get one, and then six to 12 months later, they'll get the second shot. Whereas for boys and girls or men and women who are age 15 to 26, they actually need a three-shot series given at intervals um, over a period of six months. Now, when we talk about getting the shots for HPV, there are certain types of HPV that are more risky than others. So in that situation, when we talk about vaccinating, you could still potentially get exposed to a different strain of HPV, but this vaccine is targeting the ones that are associated with the risk for cervical cancer. Is that right? Yeah. So there's actually lots of different strains of HPV, and, you know, there's two types specifically that the vaccine covers for that cause actually 70% of all cervical cancer. There's a whole bunch of other players in there of HPV strains that cause cervical cancer also, but just not as commonly. So the real key is, you know, getting your vaccine to protect you against those two. The current um, iteration of the vaccine actually covers you over nine HPV strains, two of them for genital warts, which don't cause cancer, but No one likes genital warts. And then the other seven will cover the high-risk HPV strains that do can lead to cancer. Well, and that brings up another really excellent point, which is 
there's also HPV causing other problems. So we've mentioned cervical cancer because it is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, but you mentioned genital warts. And so, yeah, nobody's signing up to say, I want any of those. So that's another condition that HPV can be associated with. And if you get the vaccination before you get exposed to those two strains that could potentially cause the warts, then you will also be protecting against this other condition as well. Yeah, so it's a nice bonus to to getting the HPV vaccine. Um, You know, cervical cancer is not the only thing that HPV can lead to. You can have um, vulvar cancers, vaginal cancers, anal cancers, as well as oral pharyngeal or like throat cancers also. So it can help protect against all of those because if you don't get HPV, it won't lead to, you know, the development of these other cancers also. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of the benefits of the HPV vaccination with Dr. Erica Kwok from Kaiser Permanente. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking with Dr. Erica Kwok of Kaiser Permanente about HPV and cervical cancer. It's actually still more common worldwide than we want it to be, and one of the few direct connections between viruses and cancer that we know of. Now, right before the break, we were talking about some of the other associated cancers from HPV, vulvar cancer, vaginal cancer, anal cancer, oral and throat cancer, all of which have some association with HPV, so vaccination could potentially protect against exposure to the strains that cause those other conditions as well. So another reason to consider vaccination. All right. Now, we've mentioned that the age group generally goes up to 26. I know that there were some societies, Dr. Kwok, that were suggesting that women up until the age of 44 or 45 could be eligible if they wanted to get the vaccine, if they had some shared discussions and decision-making with their provider. Does that happen very often? Do you see a lot of women who are in the older age groups who are wanting to still get HPV vaccinations? Absolutely. I mean, I think it depends on, you know, what they're reading and the information they're seeing. But I often will see women who have already had abnormal pap smears who ask about you know, can I get my HPV vaccine? I have HPV and I don't want to. Um, and certainly there probably is a role. You know, we have a, a vaccine that covers nine strains. Presumably we hope they've only had one or maybe a few, so there could be some benefit from the other strains. But you're not going to get the real benefit, the full benefit of the vaccination as someone who is 11 or 12 who's never been exposed because they won't ever see any of those things. Like vaccines, you know, once you've had something, it doesn't really protect you against that. So the real goal and the reason why we have this young age group that we want to get vaccinated is so that they can get protected before any exposure. The really your highest risk of exposure is going to be in those teen or early adult years, which is why, you know, we're covering women for vaccination and and men and boys um, in those early years of sexual activity. Well, and I often bring up the point that, you know, we don't see the same rates for HPV vaccination that we do for other things. But I've also discussed with some patients that hepatitis 
could also be considered a sexually transmitted disease. And nobody really seems to complain about hep B vaccination. So in the same lines, when we think about HPV vaccination, again, it's another virus that could be sexually transmitted. And it's something that we know we can protect from. So, you know, I just I remember that when the when the HPV vaccine came out, I think I was like, 28 or 29 and I'm like darn just missed the age group when they announced you could get it up to age like 44 or so I was like 46 or 47 I'm like again I missed it so I know that it's a vaccine that certainly I wish I could get I I would love to be able to protect against any type of cancer cervical cancer included now after someone's received the vaccination if they have this series when they are younger will they still need to come in and have routine pap smears? Oh, absolutely, because it doesn't cover for every strain of HPV. And I think the other thing to think about is we know about vaccines. I think we know more about viruses and vaccines than we ever had or thought about them more during COVID. But, you know, vaccines, they work, but they're not 100%. You know, we're this is a prevention. So really, if you have a whole population of people who are vaccinated and not getting HPV, then the likelihood we're going to be passing around HPV becomes less and less. And that's really our strategy. It's not that you've been vaccinated, you will not ever get HPV. You still could. Um, But we're trying to decrease the amount of HPV in the population. Well, and if that can help people in the future, it's certainly a good endeavor. Now, if you were to get HPV and you were to have this found on a pap smear, this could potentially cause you to have some cervical cells that look a little funny and or might even be the the beginnings of cancer. So what happens when that occurs? What's sort of the protocol on how to handle early findings of HPV-associated changes to the cervix? So if your pap smear is already starting to show some mild abnormalities, and typically you're going to see very early changes, that's the vast majority of what we call abnormal pap smears. You know, we're going to have you come in for a colposcopy most likely, and, you know, you take a really good look at the cervix using a colposcope. I think of it like a microscope for your cervix. You just kind of get better light, you get some light filters, and, you know, really see what's going on there. And typically we'll often take cervical biopsies. They sound really scary. You know, you think, wow, that must really hurt. But actually, you don't have great nerves in the, that area. You know, you have to have a baby and be able to tolerate that. So little tiny, teeny tiny biopsies on the cervix really are a good way for us to sort of better evaluate what's going on in the cervix. Is there cancer? Is there pre-cancer? And, you know, the vast majority of the time, it's actually not anything. We just continue to monitor closely. But if we were to find like a precancer, that's absolutely the time we'd want to come in and, you know, get that treated. And these are things we can do in the office, you know, just a clinic procedure, give you a little numbing medicine and remove those abnormal cells. So if you have the precancer, there is a treatment for it. What if unfortunately it's progressed to be cancerous? So at that point, you know, we would refer you to a gynecologic oncologist. We have, you know, definitely treatments ranging from surgery to radiation to chemotherapy, depending on the stage and what's going on. Um, We don't see a lot of cervical cancer, thankfully, just because pap smears are so great at finding those precancerous lesions that can be treated prior to the development of cancer. So this is a big push for getting women 
better pap screening and HPV testing, actually. So what are the current guidelines regarding doing pap smears and the age ranges? Because the other thing that's happened is when we get to the older age in the spectrum, women who are 65 and over who've never had an abnormal pap smear may not need to continue to do pap smears. So there is actually an age range that we're targeting cervical cancer screening for. What is that and how often do we want to have that done? So women should all get their first pap smear at age 21, regardless of sexual activity. You know, we want to start from 21 to 29. You need a pap smear every three years. Starting at age 30 to 65, you would want to have one of three options. You could have a pap smear alone every three years. You could have a pap smear with a high-risk HPV test every five years. Or there's been a recent push toward thinking about just having HPV testing alone. You know, I think this is something that's very, very interesting to us, especially, you know, a place like Kaiser, because we have women who don't want to come in. How do we get them better screened? You know, there's potential here for um, doing HPV testing at home even, you know, sending women kits so they can do it in the privacy of their home. We're not there yet, but I think these are things that may be coming. So, you know, 30 to 65, you want to have those regular pap smears every three or five years, depending on what kind of testing you're doing. At age 65, you can really try to look at each individual and their past history. So if someone is 65, they've been with a stable partner, they have never had an abnormal pap smear, everything has been normal, those women are eligible for not having any more pap smears. Um, if you're someone who has not had routine pap smears in the past 10 years and your life, really, um, but we want to have nice documented pap smears um, in the past 10 years that we can see and a history, you know, if, if you have anything abnormal, we would want you to keep screening beyond. Um, this would even apply to women who've had a hysterectomy and they've had a significant history of abnormal pap smears. Those women may still need to be screened also. But... I think this is something, you know, talking to your, your personal, you know, provider about what, what your personal circumstance is, whether or not you could stop screening. There is a potential that, a, you know, some woman can stop at 65. So it really just depends on your history, and that's why I think some women are told by their OBGYN, okay, we've had these 10 years of pap smears. You're good. You don't have to do the screening for cervical cancer. Certainly doesn't mean that they can't come in and have a yearly exam and check on bone density, do mammograms, do breast exams, do pelvic exams, do other types of testing that's usually done. Of course, of course. The cervix is not the only female part you have. And I tell women all the time, you know, your gynecologist might be one of the only people who's ever going to look at certain parts of you. So... You know, this is this is a good opportunity to kind of check everything out. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more with Dr. Erica Kwok of Kaiser Permanente about ways that we can all reduce cervical cancer by focusing on vaccination, focusing on pap smears, and making sure that we keep, in general, women healthy as long as possible. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak with Dr. Erica Kwok of Kaiser Permanente on the line. And we're talking about cervical cancer. And right before the break, we talked about why some women at 65 may not need to continue to do pap smears or cervical cancer screening. But there are some other things they may still want to see their OBGYN about. Now, Dr. Kwok, you also help take care of women when they're pregnant. And if they've previously had a history of cervical cancer, could that affect their ability to keep a pregnancy going full term? Absolutely. So depending on the kind of treatment, you know, they may or may not have a cervix. Um, you know, certainly radiation can affect the cervix quite a bit. Um, you know, I've had some young women in childbearing age who will need to have their uterus removed. And so, you know, maybe they would need assisted reproductive technologies to harvest eggs and have a gestational carrier. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ramifications for young women. And this is really a cancer of young women. Most women who um, have this, like the most frequent age of diagnosis for cervical cancer is really 35 to 44. And that really speaks to the, the nature of this cancer. It's caused by a sexually transmitted virus. And so, you know, you're going to have young women getting these kinds of cancers. Well, and I think it also is something that a lot of times at certain ages we feel a little invincible. And that's something that we need to consider is this is a cancer of, like you said, young women. So making sure that they come in for routine gynecologic care, particularly during the years in which they are childbearing appropriate, that's another issue that they need to consider. So absolutely sounds like we need to make sure that cervical cancer is screened for appropriately. I know that's a huge initiative. In fact, the World Health Organization has a whole global task force that's looking at trying to eradicate cervical cancer, particularly through promotion of HPV vaccination and then early diagnosis of precancerous lesions. You mentioned that there might at some point even be home kits and testing available. And it sounds like that's a direction for us to look at in the future. We've done the similar things with colon screening, you know, with colonoscopy being something that is the gold standard, but there are some other options for people to do colon screening in a home environment, which may increase the rates of screening to be done and hopefully earlier detection. So it sounds like we're looking at something similar for cervical cancer as well. The home HPV testing, is that technology we currently have available or is that sort of forward thinking into the future? You know, there are HPV um, HPV testing kits. It's just a matter of, you know, I don't actually really know much about, you know, what, what the availability for mass distribution at this point. I think it's something that a lot of medical centers are sort of slowly looking at because we really want to get women screened. And there's a, some, a certain percentage of women, like 75% of women will come for their pap smears, and then there's this 25% that they're not coming. You can call them. You can write them letters. They really don't want to be here. And so, you know, if we can get those women to participate in the screening as something that feels more comfortable, like a home screening test, that would definitely be something that I think would be important for women. Well, and, you know, I'd like to to discuss a couple of myths because I was reading an article earlier today and I was kind of surprised. 
But uh, I thought maybe it would be worth mentioning when I spoke with you this evening. So there are certain people who think they never need to be tested, and that's probably not the case. So you mentioned starting at age 21, women should have pap smears, uh, and usually every three years or so, up until, depending on their circumstances and what's going on. Uh, but if you are in a situation where you you may have previously had had partners and now are no longer with those partners, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still test for HPV. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You still need to have HPV testing. You know, we'll see women who will say, I haven't had a partner in X number of years, and they'll come back with an abnormal pap. Um, You know, exposure, you don't need to have sexual intercourse. You can have close contact, like sexual contact, with someone and, you know, get HPV. The other thing that happens, we think there's some set of women who have HPV, their body fights off the HP and kind of suppresses it to a level that it's not detected on a, on a HPV test with their pap smear. And then for whatever reason, years down the line, it might kind of pop back up. So, you know, definitely women shouldn't think, I'm done with that. You know, if they have this long negative history and then they turn 65, they can talk about it with their provider. But I think until then, still come in. Now, you mentioned another group that that may have had hysterectomies for reasons of various various reasons, fibroids or some type of endometrial problem. But women who have had hysterectomies, depending on what it's for, they may still need to come in for cervical cancer screening because some hysterectomies spare the cervix. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so if someone has a hysterectomy that um, leaves the cervix behind, you still will need regular pap smears. Um, The other woman, you know, someone will have their cervix removed, but they have a history of abnormal pap smears, a significant history of abnormal pap smears. Those women may still need pap smears um, to screen because they might be at more risk for vaginal cancers also. So, you know, these are all things that if you're in kind of in special categories, it's really nice to kind of follow up with your gynecologist and figure out, you know, where do I fall in this? Do I still need them? Well, and the guidelines are changing, as we've talked about, that it used to be, you know, in the 70s come every year. And then we've sort of found that we can target testing to HPV and target testing at different intervals. But as you mentioned, it clearly requires sort of a personalized approach to make sure that the right testing is done for the right women at the right time. Now, Occasionally, might you find something else in a pap smear that needs to be treated but may not be cervical cancer? Sure. I mean, it's, we will often find incidental things, which are not dangerous, but sometimes we'll find that women have yeast. It may or may not be a normal thing for someone. So, you know, we'll often ask, are you having any symptoms? You know, we can find sometimes sexually transmitted parasites called trichomonas. Um, we can also find funny glandular cells sometimes, um, and or we'll find endometrial cells. And for some women, this is normal, you know, especially for women still having periods. Endometrial cells are basically could be like your period. Um, but sometimes we'll find endometrial cells in women who are postmenopausal. And for those women, we would always want to follow up and check on their uterus because it could be an early sign of endometrial cancer that we for whatever reason, haven't seen anything except that. And it could be a very early way to pick up a cancer. So if we see that, we'll definitely call 
have you come back in for more testing. Well, the best way, it sounds like, is to work out a system with your provider where you're getting tested at the right intervals, that if they do find anything that needs to be followed up on, you have those routine appointments. And if you haven't checked in to see your gynecologist, it sounds like that's a good plan just to make sure that you can screen and not be subjected to having cervical cancer, which these days we could prevent. So I certainly think that we have discussed the hopeful ways that we can prevent getting cervical cancer. And again, Dr. Kwok, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. Dr. Erica Kwok, OBGYN at Kaiser Permanente. And thank you for sharing about vaccination. It certainly is good to do before you get exposed. In addition, making sure that all women get their pap smear so that we can help to eradicate cervical cancer, not just here in the United States, but maybe someday even worldwide. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. You can follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app and on Facebook at Hawaii Public Radio. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we'll see you next week when we talk more right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.